You're listening to Bethany Radio. More content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBibleLeroy.com. Well, good morning. If you'd turn in the scriptures to Romans chapter 16 once again, Romans 16. Where will be a couple notes before we get there. One is just uh, maybe you're curious. Boy, we are sure close to the end of Romans. What's next? What's going on? Uh, if you're maybe like me, I like to know a little bit of the plan. So here's a little bit of the plan. Today we're going through uh, a few quite feel uh, short verses here on greetings. We're going to look at those in just a little bit. Uh, Romans 16 will be in verse 21. Next week, we're going to kind of wrap up Romans with this uh, benediction here of uh, Paul that he's going to give at the end, 25 through 27. And then on the 31st, which is New Year's Eve, so next week, Christmas Eve, we'll be finishing the bulk of Romans, but on the 31st, we'll kind of do a Romans in review, almost like a year in review, although it's been two years, uh, of Romans. Review that, uh, and then going into the New Year maybe a couple one-off sermons as we, and then I look towards tentatively, I'm, I'm not saying for sure, but it seems leaning towards 1 Samuel. So my trend has been, let's look at the New Testament, get a full balance, get a balanced meal, New Testament, look at the Old Testament, and we would be back in 1 Samuel somewhere in January, uh, best I can see right now, but we'll, we'll see how that all plays out. I want to make one note for the 31st. So next week we'll be finishing kind of our exegetical line-by-line, verse-by-verse study through Romans. But on the 31st, it's a more broad overview. I think we did this with Judges more. Maybe some of the other books have done this. But just want to review the book as a whole. There is much here. And that could be a day-long event, couldn't it, to review Romans or, or another two years or, or whatever. But we want, to, we want to review that book. I want to have your help in reviewing it. So I am I'm making an assignment today for you. So don't tune me off right at this moment. But I'd like to assign, I'd like to ask you to think on a particular passage. Some of you have the little Romans notebooks that we gave out when we started. Some of you have a pile of bulletins at home. Those are your notes. Or maybe you've thrown them all out. I would encourage you, this, this is your two-week notice, look through the text of Romans, is there a passage, is there a certain place where God has used that particular verse, section in your life? And I'd like you to think that way. You might not think of anything right off hand, but think towards that, review your notes, and I'd like to invite you to share that with us. doesn't need to be long. could be a sentence, hey, this verse was especially meaningful, this thing we talked about, whatever. And in doing all this, to give glory to God. So we've been through... It's quite a hefty book we've been through in these 16 chapters and want to give glory to God kind of at the end of the year. So that's your, your uh, it's not a warning. This is a good thing. This is a great assignment. So look forward to it, uh, to the review. Look back, what particular section, and then come with that and come willing uh, to share that on that Sunday. So I think we'll look towards doing that. All right, now, right before we get to verse 21, I do have a picture from last week. And Malachi has come around on the rotation. Where There he is, Malachi. Okay. All right. Malachi could probably have a book on Romans here. You could review Romans, right, with all these. This is a good one. Beware of the false teaching. You've got the sign, watch out. I've been especially watching out for deer the past week. 
and uh, have not hit them yet, going places at night, and they've been crossing like it's just a matter of time. But anyway, uh, Malachi brought that out from our passage. Beware, be on the lookout for false teaching. How do you identify them? Look at the results, the division that, that lies in their wake. Look for smooth talkers, uh, flattery, and look for those that do not serve the Lord Jesus Christ. So thank you, Malachi, for that picture. All right, well, by now you're in Romans, you're in chapter 16, and we're at these few short verses of 21 through 23. Let's listen to God's word again. Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. So do Lucius and Jason and Sosipater, I'm going to get the name right, Sosipater, my kinsman. I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, who is host to me and to the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother Cortus greet you. Let's ask God's blessing as we look at this. Lord, we do ask your help, and we thank you that you are faithful. Your word is so sufficient. There is an abundance in your word to glean from, and that abundance continues in a couple short verses of greetings. So I thank you for that. I pray that these verses would minister to our hearts even in this Christmas season as we contemplate these eight men and uh, encourage us to go out from here, Lord, to be lights, to greet others in Christ, to be lights of Christ. So would your Spirit just work amongst us to reveal what is necessary in our own hearts for our growth in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. These are kind of the last of this, these greetings that we've talked about, kind of this series of Christmas greetings. And I know these aren't Christmas in terms of Paul didn't design them for a Christmas season, that sort of thing, but kind of ties to the Christmas greetings that we might give or send out. And as I said, next week we're going to have kind of this wonderful benediction, now to him who is able, and Paul ends Romans here. The question here is, is there anything we can take away from three short verses, and the mention of eight men here. Can we take away? And of course I'm going to say yes, because my sermon's not done at this point, but I think there is, and there's actually, I think, four takeaways at least, maybe more, I'm sure, different things. Call them nuggets of truth. Call them application based on these greetings here. So we'll kind of go verse by verse, but it's more person by person. But I want to look at these four takeaways. Let me give you the broad kind of outline. They all begin with these greeters. So these greeters, they authenticate this letter with real people. These greeters authenticate this letter with real people. That's one. Number two, these greeters teach us that God's people are a varied bunch. That's the best word for it, but they're a varied group, a varied people, whatever. God's people are a varied bunch. Number three, these greeters reveal Paul's closer friends. So that's number three. These greeters, they reveal Paul's closer friends. friends. And number four, these greeters teach us, they teach us to embrace our fellow believers. To embrace our fellow believers. So we'll just kind of look at these one by one, thinking these truths. The first one, these greeters authenticate this letter with real people. 
So this letter to the Romans, as we've gone through it, it's filled with helping sinful man understand his need for salvation. None are righteous, no, not one. All are accountable to the Lord. All have sinned, that idea of sin and the need for salvation. And then these wonderful truths that we see of the gospel of this salvation by grace through faith in Christ, the centerpiece, the hero, the the focus of Paul is Christ. And yet, people are mentioned in more than one person, and even more than one here. And these people that I just read, and I, you know, if you get the names and write or pronounce all that, it doesn't. That's fine. But these people here, Timothy, the Lucius, the Sosipater, all these, they can authenticate the letter. I think they can testify. Maybe the one that would say, well, did Paul write that? Here's eight guys that say, yeah, we were with him. He wrote this. It's, there's an authentication to it. The Bible doesn't need that. The Bible is self-authenticating in itself as the Word of God. But there is also outside evidence that points us and says, here's truth. Here's what's truly been written. And I think this, this section shows some of that. So the little snippets given here of at least some of these guys, it gives, gives this letter a certain realism, doesn't it? And then in addition, you find at least some of these names, they're mentioned elsewhere. Luke mentions some of them in Acts or uh, other letters of Paul. A few of these you'll find other places. So these greeters help. They help to authenticate this letter, presenting us real people. Real people receiving the letter. We could have said that just as well about the bulk of chapter 16 in those other greetings, 26, 7, whatever, how many number there were, but also here, I think, same way. Real people. Real, also real, varied people. This next thing we learn here, that God's people are a varied bunch. That's what this teaches us. Of course, you might have learned that already just looking around the sanctuary. There's a variance. You're a varied bunch as I look at you. Different clothing, different occupations, different talents, things you like, things you don't like all throughout the sanctuary. And yet God, God uses, doesn't He? This is what we see. 1 Corinthians 12 places. God uses a varied bunch to accomplish His redemptive purposes for His glory. He uses it here. And I think we see that modeled here in just the, the, the very the ponderance of, of all these names that are here. Uh, so I want to just look briefly at each one, each of these eight men here, and just look at what the Scripture gives us. Some is very little. Some is a little more. And, and just enjoy looking through some of these characters that, that were seemingly just surrounding Paul here. The first is Timothy, and he might maybe be the, the best known here. Uh, we find Paul meeting him on his second missionary journey when he came to Lystra. I do have a map, don't I, in there? And one more map for us. And Caleb, we can just keep this up while we're going here. Uh, I might refer to it again. Lystra, there it is. There's Lystra. We've got Jerusalem down here, Rome somewhere over here. Here's Lystra and Paul. This would be a map of his second missionary journey. This seems to be where he met Timothy. We read Acts 16. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra or Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. 
Here's Paul grabbing a hold of Timothy. And if you do a search of Timothy in the New Testament, you're going to find he truly lived up to his title here. Timothy, my fellow worker. Do you see that attached to Timothy? My fellow worker. Sometimes he's with Paul. Sometimes he's sent out by Paul. Places like Ephesus or Corinth or Thessalonica. Junior, senior high, you know about the letters written to Timothy. You're studying 1 Timothy. So 1 and 2 Timothy, as we refer to them, these letters Paul writes to encourage Timothy in the ministry. He calls him my true child in the faith. He's got a ministry in Ephesus. Paul's encouraging him there. So Timothy was this vital partner in ministry with Paul. But in some sense, so were the other seven here. Though they were varied, in their gifts. You'll see why, we're, why I'm saying that. The next three here, Paul calls my kinsmen. Lucius, Jason, Sosipater, my kinsmen. And I think kinsmen here in terms of my fellow Jews. Uh, the same word for kinsmen you've got here at the end of verse 21 uh, was used back in chapter 9. Chapter 9, if you remember, that's where Paul is longing for his kinsmen for His people to know Christ, to be saved. I'll, I'll be accursed if they can only know Christ, that they would know Him. And then Paul speaks later on, chapter 11, talks about a remnant of ethnic Jew, remnant chosen by grace. And I would just submit, you've got three names here, three of this remnant, this Lucius, Jason, and Sosipater. Proof right here that God's not fully done or fully has not fully rejected the Jews as ones beyond salvation, but they too, seemingly these three, have come to Christ. Uh, Lucius, probably we know the least here. He's just Lucius, my kinsman. Um, some may place this name Lucius like, a, like Luke would be a smaller name. So I think I read... Some, I don't know who, where, whatever, but would say this is maybe the physician, the one that wrote you know, Luke, Acts, shortened form of, form of Lucius. Others are kind of doubtful of that. Uh, he's just simply here, he's one of Paul's kinsmen. He's in the list. That's about all we know. I don't, as far as I know, we don't find him anywhere else. Jason here might be a little more closely tied to Paul being the Jason of Thessalonica. Do I have that on my map? Oh, there it is. Yeah, way up here. So presumably Paul's writing right now where we're at from Corinth, uh, Caia here, Greece. Maybe this is the Jason from Thessalonica, and you can just write down this reference, Acts 17. That's where you find a Jason in Acts 17. In that place, Paul's preaching. He's in the uh, synagogue of the Jews. He's preaching Jesus as the Christ in Thessalonica. And some are persuaded, and guess what? Some of the Jews are jealous. They form a mob, and guess whose house they attack? It's Jason. That's the house that they attack. Maybe, I think they're looking, they're trying to find Paul, and it's Jason's house gets ransacked. And maybe they're saying, maybe this is the same Jason, one whose life was at risk in the service of Paul and really in the service of his Lord. So we're not too far away from Thessalonica. Maybe that's the same Jason. Now, Sosipater, which is kind of hard to say, but Sosipater, he's quite possibly found elsewhere. And I want you to go here. Go to Acts chapter 20. So if you just go back to the left, not far. Next book left. 
find the Big 20. And if you find the Big 20, you're basically there. We're going to look at verses, uh, verse 3 and 4 here. So, Sipater. We're going to find in this list a Sopater of Berea. We'll get to that. In verse 2, though, uh, we read this. When, when he had gone uh, through those regions that had given much encouragement, he came to Greece. And there, I think the, the thinking is Greece in terms of this is he came to Corinth. So, you could say he came to Greece, Greece came to Corinth, and look at verses 3 and 4. There he spent three months, and when a plot was made against him by the Jews as he was about to set sail for Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia, verse 4, Sopater, the Berean, son of, oh boy, Pirihas, I don't know, accompanied him, and of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Secundus and Gaius of Derby and Timothy, there's Timothy, and the Asians, Tychicus and Trophimus. All right. The three-month stay, do you see that? There he spent three months. That's where I think scholars are placing Paul writing this letter to Rome. This, it's right in this verse. And you go, how do you get that out of this verse? We looked at that kind of in the beginning. Um, there's a couple others mentioned, look at in a bit, uh, of this letter. But if you remember here, if, if Paul is in Corinth, he's taking this contribution uh, from these churches, Macedonia and Achaia, to the church in Jerusalem for the saints. Remember, for the poor there. He's delivering that contribution. It's supposed that this Sopater of verse 4 is part of a delegation that's accompanying Paul on this mission. And quite possibly it's the same Sosipater that we've got in verse uh, 21 back in Romans. Um, the, the, my study Bible talks about Sopater here and this group, maybe they're, they're, this group as a whole, their presence would give safety from robbery and also would provide a public guarantee of Paul's integrity in handling the funds. So if you're back in chapter 16, turn back. Lucius, more unknown. Jason, perhaps. That's, that's Salonica. A lot of these are perhaps. And there's Sosipater from, quite possibly, Berea. Remember the Bereans, and they're handling the Word of God. As we head back to our text, we've looked at those. There's another, the one who actually speaks for himself, and that's Tertius. Look at verse 22 there. I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. And you might look at that and go, I thought you said Paul wrote this letter the whole time. Isn't this Paul's writing? What's Tertius doing in here? And I'll give you bonus trivia points if you remember what what his name is called. But Tertius is referred to as what's called an amuensis. Hold on, i got to read it. Amanuensis, there we go. Basically a writing assistant, a secretary. So Paul, yes, he did write Romans, but putting that pen to paper, papyrus, whatever, that's of Tertius right here. Now, I found this little quote from E.H. Gifford. He says this, we have therefore, in this little detail, that's the one we're on, verse 22, this little small detail, an instance of Paul's characteristic courtesy, and I think he means just letting Tertius say hi. You know, he's not dictating. Tertius, you want to say, yeah, I, Tertius, I greet you in the Lord. He gets his own little part. He can you know, write here. Um, but he goes on to say, at the same time, a strong proof of the genuineness of the passage. For what forger... 
would have thought of introducing such an incident. If you want to forge a letter, don't say, you know, somebody else wrote this. Paul's he's being honest. There's this honesty of Tertius writing this, this sort of thing. And so this Gifford saying this, this kind of proves there's, there's not a forgery going on here. And again, the names, the details, they seem to give weight to the authenticity of this letter. Maybe you get a picture here. My wife, we were talking about this passage even last night, talked about this kind of, you get a picture of a band of brothers. Maybe that's kind of the picture here of this Lucius, Jason, Tertius, this uh, group that's here. They're all sitting around. Tertius is writing it down. And they're encouraging this church in Rome. In verse 23, we find Gaius. Gaius. There are some others in Scripture named Gaius. We read, I think, right just in Acts 20, Gaius of Derby. I think those are different guys, or Gaiuses. But it seems this is the one, now go one more place. We're not going a lot of places, but go one more place. This is the one Paul would reference in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. You're, you're almost to 1 Corinthians. Just go a few pages to the right and find chapter 1, verse um, 14. And you see there, kind of in this introduction, as Paul, so we step back, here's Paul writing to the Corinthians. We just said he's in Corinth. This is a letter to the Corinthians, and Gaius is named here. Verse 14, it says, "I, I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius. Crispus and Gaius are mentioned. And perhaps this Gaius was an initial convert of Paul. Some place him, if you look up uh, Crispus um, in Acts, I can't remember the chapter offhand, but you'll see that uh, Paul went from the synagogue to the house next door of this Titius Justice. Uh, Some would say that's the house of Gaius there. Maybe. Maybe that's true. We don't know. But at least it seems like he was an initial convert of Paul. And if you head back to Romans, you see this Gaius who is, who is host to me and to the whole church. And so we see him mentioned elsewhere, find him back here. And we find him, these little snippets again, little details, Gaius as a host, not just to Paul, but to the whole church. And the word for host here, we've seen already. We've seen it in a related phrase. In chapter 12, verse 13, where there's a call, seek to show hospitality almost like seek to be a host or to show hospitality paul in this case he needs to only point over to gaius and say this guy is doing what i've called you to he's been a host he's done this for us he's doing what i've spoke of and so in scripture we find these their commands their imperatives do this a call to this a call to that And then within those pages of Scripture, we see people actually doing it. They're living it out. I think Gaius is one of those hosting. Again, as I said, kind of where do we get that Paul was writing from Corinth here? Gaius is part of that equation for placing Paul in Corinth. You've also got verse 1 of chapter 16 with Phoebe. And her location, she was a servant of the church at Sencrea, which is right near Corinth. You've got Gaius mentioned. And then you've got the next one here in the line. Gaius, who is host to me in the whole church, verse 23, greets you. Then you've got this one named Erastus, the city treasurer. Erastus. Uh, 
the ESV calls him city treasurer. Maybe if you're reading an NIV, uh, King James says Chamberlain, something like that. NIV says the city's director of public works. Erastus is pretty unique uh, to us even in the, the 20th, would have been the 20th century, 1929, they found this. Okay, let me want to show that picture. They found this inscription in Corinth with this name. And in, ca- in case you can't read all this, which I can't either, I mean, you can kind of see, can you see in the top left? Kind of, You can kind of see Erastus there. Okay, the rest, let me just read. Here's the translation. Uh, Erastus, for his idolship, A-E-D-I-L-E, his adileship, laid, and then parentheses, the pavement at his own expense. Let me read that again. Erastus, for his adileship, laid, I think they're adding in here, laid the pavement at his own expense. Erastus, at least here, this Erastus is referred to as an, an, an adile, I'm even hard time saying it, idile, something like that which may be related to this position of a city treasurer. Maybe this like the NIV, the public works. Maybe, maybe the dialship is a later promotion from what Erastus was at this time. We don't know. Um, but it's interesting. Here's an inscription that this, this pavement was done at the expense of this Erastus. David Gill talks about those in this position of a, an adile, maybe close to city treasurer. They were responsible for the maintenance of public streets and buildings, which included the marketplaces. They managed the revenues derived from such places, and they served as judges. And I think, I think it was Gill, maybe others, that, that suppose maybe this Erastus got elected to this position, and by way of a thank you or a promise in his election, he paved whatever, a row, you know, not with the steam machines at the time, you know, the other, however they did that back then, but he... Fort, you know, gave out the money to do it and put up this inscription. Here's Erastus. And perhaps this is the same one. Gill writes, he says, the evidence doesn't allow us to be certain about the link. But at the very least, it is clear that Paul is here reminding Christians to take an active role in the running of the city, just like Erastus. Isn't that just interesting? These different names. Maybe it's the same. You've got, a, you've got a scribe, Tertius. You've got a fellow worker, Timothy. You've got fellow Jewish Christians, Lucius, Jason, Sosipater. You've got a, one hosting, Gaius. And here you've got a worker of the city, presumably a, a wealthy man to do all this. God uses all sorts of people, all parts of His church, and He continues to do that to this day, uses all sorts of men and women in all sorts of places. And I think this list shows us this varied bunch of workers here. But to learn a little bit what Matt, just look at this last name, the last name of Cortus, our brother Cortus, Erastus, city treasurer, and our brother Cortus greet you. Uh, One commentator, F.F. Bruce, he writes this. He says, since Cortus is Latin for fourth, and Tertius, I I presume Latin for third, would it be excessively far-fetched to think of him as Tertius' brother born next after him? Like, here's Tertius. Oh, yeah, there's that fourth brother. His name's Cortus. 
he says hi as well. I don't think that's how Paul was quoting it, but possibly, possibly they're related. What we do know for sure what is just simply Cordus is known as our brother. And I take that to mean, I think, more than just physical, a spiritual brother in Christ. Now, poor Cordus, in some places, like my study Bible, he doesn't even get mentioned. Maybe you've got a study Bible, you're looking through, help me with these names, where do I find them? There's nothing here about Cordus. He is mentioned in other commentators, um, Doug Moo, who I've used a lot, gives him like a sentence. He's got like a semicolon and a sentence. So he gets a little bit of airtime, but that's about it. But is that how we should think of Cortus? Kind of like an afterthought. Yeah, there, and, then, and then there's him. You know, maybe there's Erastus. Wow, that's cool. He's got his own inscription. But then there's Cortus. Nothing here, though, indicates Cortus didn't know the Lord. Indicates, I think everything suggests, he's a brother in the Lord. And if that is all, then that is far enough for him and for others here, for the Lucius, Jason, Sosipater, where not much is written about them. It's not about getting that title. It's about are they in the Lord. And so here's kind of just one conclusion in this list that warrants our attention. The titles and identity matter very little if you are in Christ. Perhaps you too can be inspired by poor old Cortus or Lucius. Lucius, we've got nothing. Uh, Well, he's kinsman. We've got that. In a culture, society defined by maybe success, what do you do? What's your job? Or your social network? Just consider Cortus or Lucius or the others. And then consider Galatians 2.20. 2 verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. There's an identity. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live, I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. God can and he does. He uses all sorts of people in all sorts of positions. And that's, that's both a, a relief. Where has God put you in what particular position? Doctor, lawyers, city workers, you teach in a school. You fix things, you farm the ground, you work in a warehouse, you scoop ice cream, wherever. God uses people in these places. But what matters most, what unites us, and what is better than any identity in those occupations is this identity that we are named with Christ. We are loved by Christ and we're eternally secure in Christ. So if your identity is tied to that child from Bethlehem, you're rich indeed. You don't need more things after your name. You've got the name being in the name of Jesus. So, the list of names here, it authenticates the reality of this letter, tells us God's people are a varied bunch. I'll be relatively brief on these, but it also reveals some of Paul's closer friends. We're not told each of these ones was a close associate, uh, but I don't think it's a far stretch to see them as a close-knit group surrounding Paul, especially Timothy and I think the others. Maybe calling them Paul's close friends. And I mentioned friends, listening to a podcast this week on, a, on another book I've not read, but <laughs> the title was intriguing enough to bring it to you. Uh, Christian writer 
title's called Made for Friendship. It's by Drew Hunter. You can tell me after. Maybe you've read this. Here's the byline. Just, you know, it's almost like, read the book, but uh, here's the byline. He's, he's going to talk about, in a book, about friendship. Here's the byline. The relationship that halves our sorrows and doubles our joy. I like that description of a friend. The relationship that halves our sorrows and doubles our joys. You ever thought about friendship in that way? I don't think I have. Here's how the book's described. Today's adults typically have many acquaintances, but few friends. With rates of loneliness skyrocketing in our culture, Hunter believes Christians must rediscover the true meaning and value of friendship. Looking to Scripture for insight, he explains how to wisely cultivate relationships in an age of isolation and enjoy friendship with God. I think we can be certain Paul was no lone ranger in terms of his Christianity and his life. He shared friendship, Christian friendship, perhaps with many, most likely I think with these eight that shared ministry with him. One writing for him, another a host, another who stuck his neck out for him maybe in Thessalonica, and another as a high-ranking city official. Truly maybe a band of brothers. Just consider today your friendships in light of that uh, having our sorrows and doubling our joys. Consider your friendships and who you're surrounding yourself with. Are these ones that will build you up in the Lord? And then on the flip side, what kind of friend are you being to others? Are you investing in others to build them up, to to have their sorrow and to double their joy for the glory of God? It's a good thought here as we think of these eight. And then lastly, and I think kind of related to this, these greeters. They're all greeting. If there's one verb that comes up all the time, they're just greet, greet, greet. So-and-so greets, 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 and they teach us to embrace our fellow believers. Probably nothing new as we've looked at these greetings. A greeting says something. The very word greeting, a scholar named Hans Windisch He explains this word used for greeting. He says, a greeting from a distance, which is a substitute for greeting and embracing in personal encounter. It expresses sincere attachment in separation and thus serves to strengthen personal fellowship. You hear that? So there's a separation. This greeting strengthens the personal fellowship. He goes on to say, interesting, the custom of epistolary greeting, which were an epistle, a letter, the custom of greeting was only gradually adopted in the sphere of Greek and Roman culture. In letters of the pre-Christian period, greetings are not too common, and there are no long series of greetings. Isn't that kind of interesting? If, if Hans is right here, Christians would more or less develop the whole idea of greetings because we have something to greet, something about, because of the relationship we share in the Lord. That type of greeting. And it speaks of mutual love for the brothers and sisters in the church, sharing a relationship with one another in the Lord. And so it's Christian fellowship here. In this case, from a distance. These eight, distance-wise to Rome. But nonetheless here, there's an embrace of these fellow believers. I greet, or Tertius here, I greet, or so-and-so greets. There's this this bond even over the miles of this fellowship here. It's living out in real time what Paul has alluded to here and called 
uh, in these chapters coming up to 16. Chapter 12, that we are members one of another. Verse 10 of chapter 12, love one another, outdo one another in showing honor. To not pass judgment or despise your brother. To live in harmony with one another. To welcome one another, chapter 15. And also chapter 15, to instruct one another. So the Christian greeting, it's at least maybe a handshake or a hug or a holy kiss. But the greeting itself, it's a sign of deeper fellowship. May the Lord help us to grow in this type of uh, fellowship. Now, with all this said, is there any application for this Christmas season? Think about this. The book of 1 John, chapter 5, verse 19, we read this. John says there, we love because he first loved us. We love because he first, we're seeing the sign of it is Christmas. This, this, you know, there's God's word. We love because he first loved us. I'd submit here in the, this context of greeting, we greet one another or we fellowship with one another. Why? Because he first greeted us. He first fellowshiped with us. In fact, the whole Bible, if you think of it, is one big greeting, one big revelation of God to us. I, God, I greet you and here is who I am, and here is your problem, and here is how to get right with me in the Scripture. And within the Scripture, we find a God who said, or it's said of God, He so loved the world, He greeted the world, that how? How was His greeting? He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. He's God Paul writes about to the church in Corinth saying, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. What fellowship were you first called to? God was doing the calling into a fellowship of His Son and then the greater the, the body of Christ, the church, called into this fellowship. So you've got God's Word. You've got this incarnation of the Word in the manger, Jesus Christ. And God's call to us, it's His gracious greeting to those in such a need of salvation. And the question may be today for you, how will you respond? Pretty interesting, we already sang these lyrics in the first song we sang in the familiar Christmas carol. Consider these in terms of this God who sent a greeting, calls to fellowship, and consider these words from, O come all ye faithful. I think it's the third verse. Yea, Lord, we greet Thee, born this happy morning. Jesus, to Thee be all glory given, Word of the Father, now in flesh appearing. O come, let us adore Him. O come, let us adore Him. O come, let us adore Him, Christ the Lord. Is that where you're at today of adoring this One who has greeted us in His love by sending His Son? Greet Him in worship and in faith. Our greetings amongst us, our fellowship is tethered to Christ, the Savior. And then in His name, if you know Him, reach out and greet others. Greet others amongst us. Greet others in your neighborhood for the glory of God. Let's pray. Lord, Your Word, Your entire Word is a treasure. 
and even the listing of these eight men who maybe now we know a little bit more about them, a little bit, a lot of perhaps in here. But what we see is their heart to embrace their fellow believers in Rome. Heart of Timothy is a fellow worker. Gaius hosting the church. Tertius writing. Cortus, a brother. Father, may we find our hope, our identity in Christ alone in your salvation this Christmas season. May we praise you for your greeting, for coming to us when we were running from you and you called us and brought us to yourself. May we respond in faith and love and then worship. May we come and adore you. And may that adoration, may that praise flow out in greetings and friendship with others around us that you would build up your body in this particular place for your glory. I ask this in your name. Amen. You've been listening to Bethany Radio, a production of Bethany Bible Church in Leroy, Minnesota.